0: Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 574. Today we're continuing on in our Advent series uh, that Pastor Dave began last week. We're going through the four titles listed in Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6. Let me read that to you. It should be familiar to most of you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so today it's my responsibility to unpack that second title, the the title of Mighty God. What does it mean that Jesus fulfills this promise that a son would be born and he would be the Mighty God? And to help us do that, I want to start with another mighty person in the Bible, and that is Samson. Now, many of you here, I don't, well, I don't know if many of you were here when we did the book of Judges in ABF. Now it seems, you know, I'm getting I'm getting old. And it's been many years, but a few years ago, and you know that I've spent a good amount of time with Judges, and it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And one of the ways that you apply the book of Judges, because it can be a very difficult book to understand, is to compare and contrast the different Judges with Jesus. Now, sadly, because the book of Judges is a sad book, There's more contrast than comparing when it comes to the judges and Jesus. But I want you to think about Samson. Samson, he's well known. Why? Because he had some of the most extraordinary gifts of any of the judges. He was super strong and did some amazing things that make some really cool stories. Samson would make a great comic book character. But, being at the end of the book of Judges, because the big story of Judges is a decline to where at the end you cannot tell God's people from the people that are their neighbors. And Samson is near the end of that. And to understand that, you need to understand two things that the Judges were supposed to do. Number one, they were to deliver Israel from their enemies. They were the tools that God used to bring about freedom when his people were in captivity or under oppression of a foreign power. And secondly, they were supposed to stimulate and encourage godly living among the Israelites. They were there. One of their jobs was to be a godly person and be a role model to the nation. And Samson fails in these two in every single way. In Samson's story, we see he has no care for following God's commands, not keeping the Nazarite vow that God commanded him to keep, and on top of all of that, the level of sexual promiscuity that he displays is nothing that should be done by a godly person. He refused to be a role model of godliness to God's people. And on top of that, instead of leading God's people to freedom against their enemies, instead of leading God's people into battle like the other judges, he settles for using his strength to satisfy his own desires, being nothing more than an irritant to the Philistines, and for getting personal revenge. Let me read from Samson's story to show this. This is from Judges chapter 16, verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. No thought for God's people, no thought for anyone besides himself. And part of the lesson of Samson is to create a longing in our hearts for a Savior who truly cares for For his people. A Savior who uses his power and his might not for himself, but to save others. And that's what I want us to see this morning. Jesus has this title of mighty God, but what did he do with his might? What did he do with his power? And thankfully, part of the answer comes in the next chapter from the prophecy. So the prophecy happens in Isaiah 9. The title gets used again in Isaiah 10. But this time with more about what this mighty one will do. And so as we look at Isaiah 10 and what Jesus does as our mighty one, We're going to see our big idea that's in your outline provided in your bulletin. As mighty God, Jesus is dependable for all we need. He saves us by his grace and will always execute his justice. So let's look, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20, and we're going to see the dependability of Jesus. Follow along as I read. In that day... The remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. Now, since this is in the middle of a chapter, let me catch you up to the direct context of our verses today you'll see the verse 20 begins in that day and that is a reference to what is earlier in the chapter of God's judgment on the king of Assyria for what he did to the people of Israel and what we see in verse 20 is in that day there will be a change the trust of Israel will change look at the verse there In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord. Isaiah uses this language of leaning, of leaning on something to help us understand trust and dependence on God. The picture is of a walking stick. And I asked Steve if I could borrow his. Thanks, Steve. You put your weight on it. You want something that's not going to break under your weight. (laughs) Because you need to depend on this to stand what it's made of matters. Because it can look nice, but you're in trouble if it can't support you. The problem is, is when you have the wrong type of walking stick. (laughs) Thank you, Senior Thrift, for this. (laughs) I picked this out because this metaphor is actually a common metaphor in your Bible. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 36. And this is an Assyrian general talking to God's people. And he's got a great name. His name's Rabshakeh. And then Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you. On what do you rest this trust of yours? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. So you have a solid walking stick, and you have a reed, a broken and splintered reed. Now the reed has nothing on the inside. It looks solid, but it's not. And it splinters easy, and as the verse says here, when it splinters, it cuts your hand all to pieces. So not only are you on the ground and potentially can't get up, your hand's all cut up. This is the contrast that Isaiah says in verse 20. No more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord. The question is, what will you trust? Will you trust what is empty and unreliable, that can't hold your weight, and when you try injures you, or will you trust in the Lord? And after God uses the Assyrians to bring judgment on his people, it shows the people who to trust. To not trust their political and military alliances, and not even, to borrow the language of Proverbs, to lean on themselves and trust themselves, but to lean on the Lord. But why? Why should you lean on the Lord? Look at the end of verse 20. But we'll lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. When we see who God is, when we see his character, the Holy One of Israel, who is perfect in all that he does in verse 17 of this chapter it's also that title is also used to talk about God's judgment on the nations he is a god of justice and holiness but while that means he can bring about judgment on the wicked it also means he is reliable and the power of his judgment in verse in chapter 10 it is that same power that makes it possible for us to lean on him in any circumstance. What does Jesus do with his mighty strength? He makes it possible for us to lean on him in faith and trust. He is the solid walking stick that will not fail and will not injure you. And the question for us is to see the dependability of Jesus and ask, what are you leaning on? Are you leaning on a broken reed that can't be trusted and will slash up your hand? Or are you leaning on the Lord? Because the Bible is clear, anything besides the Lord is a broken reed. But God, in his power and his justice, is trustworthy to support you in all times and in all places. So be like the faithful remnant that Isaiah records here, leave that broken reed behind. The broken reed of the power in politicians and in the military. The broken reed of our own understanding. Again, anything that you trust in for your needs, Anything that you trust in for your life is nothing but a broken reed compared to Jesus. That's what he does with his power. He provides dependably for his people. Let's look at the next part of understanding what Jesus does with his might as the mighty God. again, point two in your outline there, that Jesus saves his people. Look at verse 21 with me. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. Again, here you see in verse 21 that the same title used in chapter 9 is used here. And what does the mighty God do? He causes a remnant, a faithful section of his people, to return. Why did they need to return? The reason that Isaiah describes the remnant as returning is because they were in captivity. They were under the oppression of the Assyrians. But captivity and judgment is not the end of the story. There's hope for God's people. And Isaiah tells us that there will be some who return, who come back from captivity and will return to the Lord. Just as God sent them into captivity because of his great might, so too out of his great might he causes a faithful remnant to return. It is easier to see God's strength and power in the passages of judgment, but do not forget that God shows his power in saving his people. God's grace is a display of his great power and might. The Apostle Paul helps us here, looking back on Israel's history, sees in this idea of remnant a picture of God's sovereign grace. So Romans 11, verse 5 says, So too at the present time, and the idea is just as back then, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. All throughout the history of God's people there is always a faithful remnant not because of that remnant but because of the preserving power and grace of God God's people will never be extinguished God's people will never be eradicated There are many times in history where God's people were under the threat of extinction. And without God's intervention probably would have been. There is a might that God says to all of history, my people will never be lost. And that in every generation, God in his power saves some. By His grace. Again, thinking about Jesus being mighty God, what does He do with His might? Jesus as mighty God saves sinners, Jesus as mighty God saves us by His grace. You are not saved by your own power because, first of all, we know that would not work. You are saved by God's mighty grace. And there is always a faithful remnant by grace, no matter how small that remnant is. Not because of our greatness and our power and our influence but by God's preserving mighty power. Do you see how God uses his power for our good? Again, in contrast with the selfishness of Samson, who wasted his power only on himself. But at the same time, not just seeing Jesus as a weak little baby in a manger. But seeing Jesus as the mighty God who preserves you by his grace and his sovereignty. Thirdly, I want us to see that as mighty God... Jesus judges with righteousness. Look at verses 22 and 23. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. There's a lot going on in verses 22 and 23. And what connects the different themes of these verses is the idea of God's justice. And the different ways, the different aspects of God's justice that we see here. So look at verse 22. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. We see God's justice beginning with his people and the discipline on his people for their sin. But we also see God's justice in that he is faithful to his promises. Look at verse 22. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea. Why would Isaiah say that? Why would he reference the sand of the sea? Because he's referencing God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. It is by God's promise that a remnant would even exist. It is God's faithfulness to his people even when his people are not faithful. It's God's promise that he would, while executing justice on them, would not annihilate all of them, even though he would be perfectly just to do so. But he shows his justice in keeping his promises. But we also see how were they able to return in the first place? But because of the judgment, the justice on those nations that took them into captivity. So again, we see God's justice on his enemies. God brings justice on the wicked nations that took Israel into captivity. So in verse 22, at the end, we read, "Just destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. And again, because of his justice, God keeps that promise to save his people, to bring judgment on those who have acted with wickedness and evil. This is one of the unique contributions of chapters 10 through 11 of Isaiah. And this week I want to challenge you to read through both of these chapters. But they are pictures of the full and complete righteous judgment of God. God's justice is total and inescapable. We read earlier in the chapter. This is from Isaiah 10, verses 17 to 19. The light of Israel will become a fire and his Holy One a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land the Lord will destroy both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few That a child can write them down. God's justice crosses any political borders and is executed against the most powerful people in the world at that time. No one can escape the justice of God, no wickedness can overpower God's justice. God is presented as a mighty warrior bringing justice on the wicked. And in fact, in Isaiah 11, that familiar promise of the root of Jesse is the warrior who brings about paradise through judgment. So again, what does a mighty God do with his power? He brings complete and righteous judgment on evil, and rules with perfect justice. He does what is right all of the time. Everything he does is overflowing with righteousness. And therefore, he can be trusted both to bring justice and to be just. God does not use his power in a way that is selfish, in a way like the gods of that time could be good or bad. You read some of the mythology of these other civilizations. The gods are worse than the people they're overseeing. But what does God do with his might? He acts with perfect and complete and total judgment. He can be trusted. He can be a comfort that God will do what is right and will one day make all things right. That is what a mighty God does. couple points of application as we close this morning. How do we want to remember this title of, of Jesus as mighty God? First, he is the mighty God of provision. We can lean on Jesus for all our needs. And because of his power... We can trust him in every circumstance. No power on this earth, no circumstance is too great or too powerful for our mighty God. And you can know that the God of the universe uses his power for your good. he can be counted on as a God of provision. You can lean on him and not fall. When your life is full of instability and chaos, you can lean on the Lord. Secondly, Jesus is the mighty God of preserving grace. God would be perfectly right and just to annihilate every sinner. And when I say every sinner, that means everyone. But what does he do with his power? He's able to do that. He chooses not to. Rather, he chooses in his power to show sinners his grace. We do not deserve our salvation. We deserve judgment, and God, as mighty God, can execute that judgment perfectly in a moment. But what does God do with his might? He preserves a remnant always by his grace. Jesus, in his power, Loved sinners. Jesus in his power died so that sinners could be forgiven and be with him for eternity. Jesus in his power shows you grace and mercy. Thirdly, he is the mighty God of perfect justice. God can be trusted to always act with justice. This means he will always keep his promises. This means that all evil will ultimately be punished in this world or in the next. And we can stand on the truth that Jesus always acts with justice and that any discipline or judgment Is right and good because it is abounding in righteousness. In great contrast to Samson, who used his might for selfish reasons and to fulfill his own desires, Jesus uses his might for his people. In his might, we can lean on him and depend on him for our needs. In his might, he saves and preserves his people by his grace. And in his might, he rules the world with justice. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son not just to be born as a baby, but to be our mighty God. And that as mighty God, we can lean on him for all that we need and at any time. That as mighty God, through his death on the cross, he saves us by his grace. And as mighty God, he rules the world with justice and righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.